0: Jeremiah 31 I shall read again two verses beginning at verse 18 I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus thou hast chastised me and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke turn thou me and I shall be turned For thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Now, these words in Jeremiah here are given as a picture of the language of a true convert to the Lord Jesus Christ they are if you like a little photograph of what a new convert feels about himself when he has come to the Lord Jesus Christ now you know that conversion is absolutely necessary there can be no getting to heaven without conversion. Jesus said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Or, you know how again in scripture it is put like this, God says through Ezekiel, turn ye, turn ye, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So to turn to God which is conversion is absolutely necessary or again the apostle Paul puts it like this he says my ministry has been to turn men from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that's the entire work of the ministry it's to convert people or to turn people not that we can do it of ourselves but that is the nature of ministry the nature of preaching it is not entertainment it is not simply to give people feelings of elation it is to turn them from sin to God or another text puts it like this repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out the new birth happens once in our life but conversion is a lifelong process I know that in common speech we are usually apt to say that a person has been converted and we look past, look back to one past experience which in a sense is unrepeatable but in biblical thinking not only is that first conversion part of the Christian's experience but also the whole life of a Christian <coughs> is one of conversion and one of turning to God from his first conversion onwards until death therefore the Christian man or woman is to be forever turning more and more conversion is imperfect in this life and so you get Jesus saying to Peter when thou art converted strengthen thy brethren now of course Peter was converted a long time previously but he means when you were converted from your backsliding showing that there is such a thing as repeated conversion regeneration then is once and unrepeated but the conversion experience is something that begins then and goes on all the way through life and that the holier you are the more converted to God you will be in every respect and uh, this therefore is what is being given us as a picture here verses 18 and 19 I have surely heard Ephraim, meaning the people of God, the convert, bemoaning himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, speaking to God, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. I want to make a number of points from this text in connection with conversion, and the first one is this. Conversion always has in it sorrow for our past rebellion. Sorrow our past rebellion Ephraim bemoans himself and confesses to having been chastened and to have been as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke three things then here bemoaning is the first one when a person is converted to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ there are tears and there are sighs and there are groans and there's a sense of sorrow. Yeah, understandably because sin now is recognized for the thing it is sin is understood to be exceedingly sinful and sin is seen in the light of the Messiah the Christ the Son of God and his death upon the cross now the unconverted sinner does not see any of that really to him sin is a thing which is only to be feared because of its consequences sinners are afraid of sin in case they should become slaves let us say to the habit of drink they are afraid of drugs only because it might damage their health and if they can enjoy sin without the sense of the consequences then they don't mind That's the difference between the commandments of God Thou shalt not commit adultery, says God Because sin is detestable But man translates that into Do it safely You see, the consequences are what worries the sinner But what concerns the convert What concerns the convert Is the detestable, abominable character of sin His own sin so he bemoans himself and he confesses to God thou, O God, hast chastised me now these chastisements are the convictions which are brought home to the innermost most sensitive conscience and feelings of a person who is brought to faith in Christ these convictions are terrors of his conscience they are the most awful things which can be experienced in this world terrors of conscience which are brought home by God he does this through circumstance sometimes but above all and over all he does it through the word the convictions of the word God's word is sharp and powerful like a two edged sword and it is sharp and penetrating and when men feel the word and the spirit coming together they are humbled and they are cast down in their own sights and they realize that God has dealt with them as a father who chastens and chastises and so he confesses thou hast chastised me and I was chastised and then he confesses I was like a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke in these days you remember there were no such things as tractors to pull farm implements it was the bullock who was the old fashioned tractor. The bullock was the animal whom you trained uh, in pairs normally, two together, not simply one, but two in a team, a team of bullocks. Later on, horses were used, but in these days, bullocks were used. And these bullocks used to have a wooden instrument across their necks, which is called a yoke. When they had horses, it took them a long time, apparently, to discover that the horse cannot tolerate um, the same sort of yoke upon its neck. It cannot tolerate a certain kind of uh, halter or, or, or collar around its neck. So they had took a long time to develop, apparently, what they call the horse collar for for dragging heavy implements. That was a wonderful invention. And when they got it, then these big, big uh... horses could do work but before they had that special color uh, they couldn't do it but in these days it was these oxen that were used or bullocks and the yoke was a thing which was used in the service of the farmer now he's comparing himself to one of these young animals have not yet learned to do the farmers work you know when a bullock is young it resents being placed in the furrow, resents having this thing put over its neck. It wants to play about in the field and to enjoy life. Uh, but uh, when it becomes older, it becomes habituated to the service and work and discipline of the farm and does a lot of service, of course, for the farmer. So he says, I was like this in God's sight. I was simply interested in pleasure, he means. I simply looked at life as a playground and therefore he bemoans his previous ignorance because conversion teaches us first of all to observe the yoke of God's moral law the decalogue and then it teaches us to bear the yoke of service to the Lord Jesus Christ you remember what Jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me and the yoke again is this service this discipline Of obedience to God So this is the first Element in this picture Of a true convert Where we are told here that he mourns Ephraim bemoans Himself Now my friends If we are Christians today We have all had This experience We can all look back To something in our life in which we recognized Our ignorance Of God We can look back to this chastisement in our lives This chastening of God And if we haven't had any of this Then we know about ourselves We have never yet been converted There is some of this in every convert's life He bemoans himself But now second I go on You see second there is a prayer A prayer He says this Turn thou me Turn thou me. He's asking God to turn him. This is a prayer now for conversion. So it's a confession, is it not, of his own inability to turn. He is as good as saying to God, Conversion, Lord, is something that's too hard for me. Now I want to point that out to some of you who ought to have been converted years ago, but you have not been this chimes in with your own experience does it not you realize that you can't just convert yourself you can't just do it as something that you bring about and accomplish by an act of will becoming a Christian is not just as simple as getting on the train or going to the bank or doing a shopping you can do those things by an act of your will but Conversion is far too hard a work for man And so he confesses here his own inability to convert himself And we must begin with that Scriptures say when we were yet without strength Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5 We were without strength Sin has robbed us of the power to turn to God That's why sin is such a terrible bondage and that's why it's so stupid for people to say when they hear the gospel I'll turn to God some other time like a character you find in the Acts of the Apostles when he heard the Apostles speaking he said I'll wait for a more convenient season but you don't turn to God in your convenient seasons either we're no more able to turn to God in 20 years from now as we are today so the time to be praying this prayer is now and I would like to suggest that those of you who are not converted young people and older people here is... Here is the prayer that God gives you. He puts it into your mouth. There's no need to say you don't know what to do. You do know what to do. It's right here in these words. Say to God, Lord, turn me. Turn thou me. Now, notice again in connection with this here, that nobody was ever converted without prayer. You do not come to faith in Christ. You do not receive the experience of conversion without prayer. The scriptures make it clear when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus what did he do he started to pray Lord who art thou? Lord what was I having to do? or that uh, man who went to the temple, the the Republican rather uh, he smote in his breast did he not and he said God be merciful to me the sinner Mm. the Philippian jailer sprang in trembling what must I do? It was virtually a prayer though addressed to men but it was a desire you see for help it was a call for help thou son of David have mercy upon me Lord take pity upon me that is the way converts or those who are to be converted begin prayer is part of it and then you'll see too nobody is ever converted against their own will I make a great point of that this shows that this is true nobody was ever converted against their will now we talk about effectual calling and we talk about sovereign grace and we talk about the irresistible work of the spirit but let nobody be confused by those terms and that language nobody ever came to faith unwillingly nobody was ever converted against their better wish and desire now that's not always the way we think of it from a subjective point of view we're inclined to think at times that we were dragged as it were by a force outside ourselves as though through a thorn hedge backwards indeed that's my experience and I testify against myself I did not want God but he brought me and yet having admitted all of that it is true that God brings us eventually to the place in which we want conversion thy people shall be willing in a day of thy power or the day of thy power Psalm 110 so I make that point from this passage here before we are brought to Christ we come to this state in which we desire to be converted God gives us a heart of flesh he takes away the stony heart out of our flesh he gives us a heart of flesh now that's perfectly illustrated in the modern hospital situation by what we call the heart um, operation, giving a person a new heart. And it's a very wonderful operation. The heart comes out of one person, and these wonderful surgeons, nowadays with all their techniques and anaesthetics and whatnot, they can put it in somebody else, and the heart will work in somebody else's body. Seems beyond belief. Now that is what God does. Conversion is. Heart surgery God takes away the heart of stone And gives us a heart of flesh Not of course literally and physically But spiritually and morally Gives us a heart to know him And so he prays here Turn thou me Now then Here is the prayer For those of you who are not turned Don't get into the situation In which you're in a doldrums In which you feel that you're doing nothing Going nowhere is the thing to be doing every day pray this prayer every day, many times a day utter this prayer to God, turn me O God turn me, turn me and I shall be turned. and here's the next point when you pray we must hope for an answer, because that is what is taught here turn thou me he says and I shall be turned so real prayer for grace is a prayer which has hope We hope for an answer. We hope because we have expectation that God will hear our prayer. This is the difference between faith and unbelief. Now, if you think you've been praying for conversion and haven't got it, it's because you have not been praying with real expectation in God. You have been praying, as it were, with the mouth only, but not with the intelligence that God has given you in your mind. Real prayer believes, real prayer takes it that God means what he says and will do what he says when he promises to us. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find everyone that asketh receive, but he that seeketh findeth to him that knocketh it shall be opened so the prayer is here accompanied by hope and this is the difference between the repentance of Judas Iscariot and the repentance of, of Peter the Apostle The repentance of Judas Iscariot was a repentance without hope. It it says in scripture, he repented of his evil deed and he took the coins and threw them into the temple treasury and went out and hanged himself because he didn't have any hope in God. He despaired in God. Now then the scriptures tell us it is a sin to despair in God. We must never despair in God. As long as we have breath in our body, we are entitled to hope in God. You may have been seeking God in your own way of things for many years and you still feel that God is not answering you, but I say to you, you must never despair, never give up. Go on pleading, go on asking, go on seeking God and the grace that he is able to give because here is the hope we have. God answers prayer. The great John Owen, who was a Puritan, Vice-Chancellor of Oxford University in the days of Oliver Cromwell. He came to a point as a Christian once in which he fell into considerable darkness of mind. And what helped him out of his state of darkness was a verse in Psalm 103 which he was singing which I chose deliberately for this very reason. And it goes like this in Psalm 130 There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared that's a wonderful wonderful statement there is forgiveness with God if there was no forgiveness then nobody would fear God nobody would love God if there was no forgiveness that's why God has given forgiveness to men that we might fear him and love him that's where love for God begins once we have the forgiveness of sins you can't love God unless you have the forgiveness of sins you can't fear him aright the fear of the Lord begins as we know the forgiveness of our sins And Owen had a wonderful experience of that, and not only did he have the experience, but he tells us uh, that uh, he sat down and wrote about Psalm 130, and in one of the volumes of the set of John Owen, he has a massive exposition of that psalm, particularly that verse of the psalm, well worth going to and reading. Now the next thing here is this. Not only do we have hope of an answer in prayer, but we have a reason for our hope of an answer we have a reason for it he goes on turn now me and I shall be turned for now here's the reason thou art the Lord my God now how do we know we have any assurance that God's going to hear our prayer well it's right here it's our relationship to God now there's nobody here and there's nobody in the world today but has a relationship with God I don't say everybody has a saving relationship with God, of course they don't the Lord's people do but nobody else does but we all of us have a relationship with God and even the most brutalized and beastly man in the face of the earth has a relationship with God and that relationship is the relationship of creator to creature God has made you and so you may say to yourself well I'm not a Christian and therefore I can't pray but, but, but Wait a minute, don't be too hasty You may not yet be a Christian And you may feel that God will not listen to you But you have a relationship with God right here God is your maker He knew you He brought you out of your mother's womb He brought you into the world Gave you your body, gave you your mind Gave you your eyes to see And everything that you have is from him ultimately So you can say like the writer here Thou art the Lord my God Thou art the Lord my God it doesn't matter how far away from God we've gone we've strayed and erred and gone away from his ways but it doesn't uh, disturb this great underlying reality that we are God's workmanship we are created by God and sometimes we have to take low ground in approaching God low ground we can't always say to God thou art my father the Christian can say that But not everybody can say that. Nobody else truly, in a spiritual sense, can say that. Nevertheless, go to God on the ground that your conscience will allow. If you can't address him as your father, address him at least as your God. Jesus Christ, when sin was his experience, came to that low point. You remember, he did not say, My father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? But my God, my God. He took low ground because sin had disturbed his relationship to the Father, our sin. Nonetheless, he still prayed to God, my God, my God, thou art the Lord, my God. And you see, here's part of the secret of prayer, uh, that we can use arguments with God. Arguments are appropriate with God. This is one of the things that that great man, George Muller, one of the early brethren leaders in Bristol had, a very, very eminent man. George Muller did this. He said, when you pray use arguments with God and he did and he prayed for about two million pounds to keep the orphanage going of the young people who were in the institution there at Bristol very eminent man of prayer and his argument was this use arguments with God and that's what this writer's doing this speaker's doing thou art the Lord my God it's a reason why God should hear his prayer and I want to give you some reasons if you're the Christian why God should hear your prayer For one thing, the preciousness of your immortal soul. Oh, my friends, there's an argument with God. Say to God, Lord, convert me. Lord, save me. Because of the preciousness of my soul. Jesus tells me so. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's more more important to God than the sun and the moon and the whole world. Your soul is so precious to God. And here's another, another argument. Say to God, Lord, save my soul because... Thine only dear Son, Jesus Christ, came to die for sinners amongst whom I am one and one of the worst and one of the most unworthy. And therefore, use these arguments, plead with God to give you the grace. Whosoever will may come, God has no pleasure in the death of a sinner. These are arguments with God, plead them. And then fifth, me point out here, in connection with conversion, Let's see what the effects are The effects of God's converting grace upon our life Verse 19 Surely after that I was turned I repented And after that I was instructed I smote on my thigh I was ashamed, yea, even confounded Because I did bear the reproach of my youth Now here clearly he's talking about the post-conversion experience After that I was turned so we're all in this together, not simply the unconverted now. Uh, I've talked to them, but we're all in this. Everyone who's a Christian, is right here in this verse. After the tie was turned, he said. After the tie was turned, what did he do? I repented. Now there are three things I draw attention to in the text here, which are the effects of conversion. First of all, repentance. When a person comes truly to Christ, They repent, that is to say, they turn away from all known sin to God. That's what repentance is, turning away from all known sin to God. Sin is bitter to a young convert, sin is detestable to a young convert. He he cannot bear the thought of continuing any longer in sin. As a friend of mine prayed at his conversion, he said, Lord, I pray that I may never sin again as long as I live. Well, that's the language of conversion. That's how a convert feels. Do you remember how Muckle Kate of Loch Caron, she repented so deeply that when she wept for her sins, she wept herself blind. And then, notice here a second of this, indignation. I smote upon my thigh. Now that's perhaps something we didn't understand when we read that verse. I smote upon my thigh. Why would he do that? Out of sheer indignation against himself You know what you do when you've done something utterly stupid, you you smite on your chest or you smite on your hand or you smite on your thigh That's what he's talking about We, we sometimes say, I could have kicked myself, I could have hit myself, I was so stupid Why did I not think what I was doing? Well that's what he means When I was converted to Christ, after I was turned, I smote on my thigh, I said, Great God, what a fool I've been, all these wasted years. I might have been converted in my teens, and now I was so hard and foolish, disobeying the gospel that I heard. i wasted these ten years, and oh, the bitter experiences I've gone through. I'm so ashamed, which is the third point. He said, I was ashamed, yea, confounded. You see, he is blushing. Shame puts a blush on people's cheek And uh, they hide their faces When a child blushes They put their hands on their face to hide the blush That's what he's doing Oh God, he said, I'm blushing at the thought of what I've been I have been so brutish Psalm 73, I was as a beast before thee And that's what people feel like when they're converted They feel that they've not been human at all They've acted like brute beasts They're ashamed I don't know if I use the illustration in your hearing please bear with me if I have but this touches me the story of a young man who had been very cheeky to his mother before his conversion and he had called her for names and and said the most awful things to his mother when he was foolish and unconverted then he was brought to Christ and uh, years ago this was in days when people took life seriously and conversion seriously and uh, indeed so serious was he this his conversion that he said to his mother mother whenever you come into the room in my presence again as long as I live I will kneel down and he did that you may say that's going a bit too far but he did it anyway that's to relieve his conscience whenever his mother would come in the room time he would go on his knees out of respect and his mother would have to say get up son that was his own wish I don't advocate you doing that necessarily but that was his own wish and you see what it was it was shame and smiting on his thigh for what he had been well if you don't do it literally do it metaphorically do it at least in spirit and in attitude for the things you've done wrong in the past the effects of grace oh my friends what this country needs clearly is nothing else than the experience of conversion and as I close today this sense of shame in a sense never really leaves the Christian never really leaves him because the text ends like this I was ashamed yea even confounded because I did bear the reproach of my youth the reproach of my youth that is to say my unconverted days his youth was the time before he found a saviour and at the time in which he looks back to wasted years wasted days worthless time so do all Christians or most of them think back I can think back to wasted sabbaths, playing football. Oh, the shame. Oh, the folly. Other people can think back to days of wasted life. With one thing or another. Foolish friends. Foolish pastimes. Youth is the slippery time of life. I'm sure we all know the meaning of that. Youth is the slippery time of life that's when the glitter and glamour of this world appears to attract us most when we're children we're not not mature enough to to feel the power of this attractive force but as we become teenagers and in our twenties the slippery time of youth the world has a terrific pull toward us we long for the enjoyment of what it offers all sorts of wonderful things a million wonderful things in the world to enjoy let's remember if it's unlawful pleasure we're talking about it will leave a bitter taste in its mouth, in our mouth and uh, if we ever come to Christ as pray God we do after it <coughs> we shall always be ashamed so better not to enter into those things I would like to hear Ephraim bemoaning himself in this congregation I would like to see tears and sighs and sorrows of men and women and young people who took seriously what it means that we are all of us wicked and that Christ has died for us and given himself for us. Oh, how sweet would this congregation be even more so, even ten times more so if we heard the voice of Ephraim bemoaning himself It happens many a time when the blessing of God comes down that people can't contain their emotions and tears and sighs and weeping goes right through a congregation. Well, whether the tears are literal or not doesn't matter. The weeping of water means nothing. What does matter is conversion. Except a man be converted and become as a little child, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Help us, O God, to hear Ephraim bemoaning himself and do thou place us where he stood and give us all the experience that he had and may we know the comfort of the Holy Spirit which is given to all who mourn through Jesus Christ we ask. Amen.